What the fuck? You guys can't see it, but there was a look of, of readiness from Maria that was unparalleled. It was like, oh. Oh, I'm so excited. Are you ready? I am. I'm, I think we're both really excited about today's case. First of all, we're covering Candy Montgomery. And if you have Hulu, then you know that there's a new show out called Candy, right. which is exactly what this case is about. So if you don't want any spoilers for the show, then sadly, I guess you should miss this episode. But also, spoiler alert, somebody dies. Yeah. And if that is the case, then just listen to this after you watch the show. You're going to love it. <laughs> the show's great. I'm really excited about the show. I love yeah. Jessica Biel. She is the true crime, true crime queen. Is she? I think so, because of The Sinner. The and she, Sinner. And she I loves true crime. That. Yeah. She's really good in that. Yeah. She's the queen of true crime. I love this show because it, like, it focuses on a time like 1980 when I was really little. And I remember everything. Like they were like in the beginning, there was like there was a review of somebody reading a paper, and The Shining had just come out, and I was like, "Oh my god!" Yeah. And the kids are gonna go see Empire Strikes Back. I'm like, "Oh my god, I remember doing that." <laughs> it's like it's my childhood minus the murder. Yeah. 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 Maybe some Mordor. Mordor. Some Mordor. There's definitely some Mordor <laughs> in my childhood. <laughs> uh, there's also. I started reading about this case before I even knew that show was coming out because there's actually another show coming out on HBO, same case, but with Elizabeth Olsen as Candy Montgomery. Really? Which is why I started reading about it, which is interesting because they keep doing that. They did that with the girl from Plainview. Hulu had the girl from Plainview and HBO had I Love You Now Die. Interesting. Um, Yeah. So I don't know if Hulu and HBO are competing for true crime. The tops? I, I think everybody is. <laughs> we Apple, certainly are. We certainly are. And, and uh, Apple TV is killing it. Apple TV. <laughs> they haven't covered the kids just, yet. But when they do, it's going to be good. On the side. On the side, Apple TV is just <laughs> mastering stuff right now. Yeah. All right. So let's get started. We have a lot of ground to cover with this one. So, Candy Montgomery was born Candace Wheeler to an army family. Growing up, Candy was never one to be shy. Maybe due to her life as a wanderer, she knew quickly how to make friends in different places. And she had a really, just an easygoing personality. People liked being around her. Nice. She also quickly learned the sway of a friendly, pretty face and what it can have on a man. I learned that lesson growing up, too. Yes, you did. <laughs> you coquette. <laughs> hey, mister. With an older sister that taught her everything she wanted to know about boys, Candy grew up with wisdom beyond her years. But throughout her young adult life, there was never really a man who had moved her. She only dated a few guys seriously, all of which ended up boring Candy or not being good candidates for being a husband in one way or another. So one guy was like too poor and one guy was like too dumb, et cetera, et cetera. Then, She's choosy. Well, <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. She, I'm yeah. I'm sure they were all dead. It's also like, I mean, as she's growing up, it's the 60s. Yeah. Then as, when she was older and she was in her 20s, she got a job at a, a wrought iron furniture company as a secretary after moving to El Paso, Texas. Hmm. There she met Marie Montgomery and Trudy Temple, who women who would come to be her mother her mother in law and aunt, respectively. Right, okay. Marie or Mary, I'm not sure how she says it. Mary saw Candy as a nice girl, the type of girl she loved to sit up with her son, Pat. And she did in the early summer of nineteen seventy. Pat was not a particularly interesting man. Poor Pat. The man who plays him in the show, I don't know his name. He's also in Veep. He does a fantastic job. Yeah. A fantastic job. Fantastic job. Before we go further, my main source today is the book Evidence of Love, which is all about this case. And there's also like a great write-up. I'll put the link, or I have Lori, because Lori's going to edit this episode, put the link in the description a great write-up in, like, a newspaper that really just, like, steamrolled the latent fascination with this case by the same the same authors. So anyway, Pat had a steady job at Texas Instruments in Dallas, Texas, and occasionally came home to visit his parents. This time, he... Well, I think, like, his mom, like, set him up on quite a few dates, and he was always really, like, he was, like... Like, these people are, like, boring. And he was always like, eh, 
And so Marie sets Pat and Candy up on a date. And according to the author, who knows if this is true, or maybe it is according, maybe it is Pat's account. At first, Pat was not that fascinated with Candy. He was like, eh, he's double like, chin. He's like, eh, whatever. I work at Texas Instruments. We make calculators. <laughs> Candy wasn't that thrilled either, especially not when she first agreed to the date, but she figured she could at least get a free meal out of him. Nice. The first date they had was super boring. Pat didn't talk much at all, and what he did talk about was mostly memories of his, like, of his childhood in El Paso. She was not thrilled. (laughs) Still, he asked her for a second date, and she surprised herself by agreeing. The next night, they fooled around at a drive-in after hanging out at the out, on the outskirts of town at these like desert dunes where they kind of they started to feel a little chemistry because she was so playful and she was fun to be around and Pat kind of opened up a little bit more. At the end of that, after they fooled around in the drive-in, he asked her for a third date and she agreed, telling him to call her the next day. The next day, Candy purposely ghosted Pat. She was like, Pat sucks. He's boring. I'm not into it. I'm just going to not be home all day so I don't have to answer the phone. When I hear that somebody ghosted somebody in like early like 70s or 60s or 80s or something like that, I'm like, wow, they were ahead of their time. But not at all because it just wasn't called ghosting. It, it just, just wasn't like, called ghosting. I'm calling it then now. <laughs> it was just like, meh. It was called meh. Eh. Yeah. yeah. Ditched, you, ditched me? Ditched. Yeah, nice. that's what it was. Yeah, that's what it was. Um... She ignored his calls, and so the next day, Pat returned to Dallas. Instead of realizing that he had been slighted, he just didn't understand. So he sent Candy a dozen roses and a little joke card. The joke cards would become a reoccurring thing in their relationship. It was like their cute little thing. And Candy was so touched by the gesture that she called him at Texas Instruments and thanked him. Neither Pat nor Candy were that enthralled with each other, as mentioned, but that changed in July of that same year, when Pat's Uncle Jack, who was his father figure, passed away from a heart attack. While he was back home, he asked Candy to go out again. This time, Pat opened up about his grief and his hopes for his own career, which involved getting a PhD in engineering. Pat fell in love with Candy for being attentive and sympathetic. And Candy fell in love with Pat for his openness and his kindness. Sweet. That's nice. (laughs) Thus began a long-distance relationship in the time of pen and paper. They wrote letters to each other, innocent, sweet exchanges between lovers until finally they met up a couple more times and then he finally proposed. The letters were super innocent. There's um, copies of some of them in the book. And he even asked, I mean, granted, she's in her 20s, and so is he. And he's like, do you think your mom would let you come stay with me in Dallas? Hmm. And she's like, well, I had to ask. And then, my, and then she would be like, my mom doesn't think it's proper unless I stay with a relative of yours. <laughs> Very cute. Very cute. A different time. A different time. This would have been a week of texting. Yeah, and definitely not in your 20s. You're definitely like, can your mom, is it okay if? Is it okay if you come stay over? It's like, my mom doesn't think that'd be proper. Kids now are all sluts. Yeah. <laughs> Boys and girls. Now. He's like, head question mark? She's like, drip drop emoji. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the two got married but had a rocky start. They had first moved to Dallas and then to Colorado for Pat to finish his degree. He did. And eventually they had two kids and were able to build their dream home in Montecito, Texas, which was like a new development. Mm. And they did. They had a beautiful home. Pat was still working at Texas Instruments after he finished his degree, but now at a higher level. Although neither of them considered themselves religious, they were actually agnostic. They decided to join a church to give the children structure. Hmm. Candy had heard of a little church in nearby Lucas, that had a, a lady preacher, a Methodist church. She was dying to see this lady preacher. And so they went. Candy and the preacher, Jackie Pondor, immediately hit it off. They were both talkative, at ease with strangers, and they were just essentially two peas in a pod. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Yeah. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. <laughs> <laughs> so Candy and Pat became active members of the church, 
volunteering for everything from repainting the church to leading the athletic leagues. Candy told Jackie everything. Everything. <laughs> a year and some change later, Jackie, the preacher, and her husband got a divorce. It rocked the church. It was a big deal. Not only was it the 70s, where divorce was still a little, uh, mm-hmm. um, but also she was a preacher. What, so that happened. And so people were already, the, ch- the little church was already judging her. And then Jackie started bringing around her new boyfriend. And then that turned into new boyfriends. Like she was just, whatever, she's fucking living her life. Yeah, she's out there. Yeah, she's out there. Uh, all the other ladies judged her, but Candy didn't. Candy looked at Jackie with admiration and a little jealousy. Hey, girl. Jackie was happy and clearly in love again. Something Candy hadn't felt in a long time mm. for Pat. Uh. Eventually, Jackie left the church for greener pastures. And she was replaced by a young preacher named Ron. Ron didn't bring up the same sense of community as Jackie had with the church. He didn't motivate the young families, many of which, many of which were a part of the church because of the feel of love and community that came with Jackie. But he was fine. We don't care for Ron. Nah. Betty and Alan Gore had joined the church around the same time Candy had. They too were a young family who were fairly new to the area. Both of them grew up in Kansas. And in her small town, she, Betty was considered the prettiest girl there was. But she's a long way from home. <laughs> so mean. I'm sorry. She too had an easiness about her. Everyone liked her and everyone knew she was destined for greatness. For a life outside of Norwich, Kansas. Betty always knew that she wanted to be a teacher. And no matter how many boys courted her, she was always resolute that nothing would get in the way. After almost marrying a hometown boy, she went off on her senior field trip and then broke up with him. Thank God, I guess. On the trip? No, like she went on her trip, like to the Ozarks, mm-hmm. and then she was, came back and she was like, I don't want to be with you anymore. Because on the trip, she met like another dude. Oh. And she wasn't going to date that dude or anything, but she was like, oh, there's life outside of Norwich, Kansas. Sure, the small town test. Yeah, yeah. So... That happened, and then she entered Southwestern College in Winfield, Kansas. Betty was good at a lot of things, but she was not good at math. She began failing calculus and asked her teacher's assistant, Alan Gore, to tutor her. Mm, One plus one equals us? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Naturally, like you said, Mm -hmm. she fell in love with him. She had always been attracted to older men, and Alan was completely taken with her for her beauty and outgoingness. She was always the one to, like, raise her hand in class and stuff, so he was into it. Mm-hmm. But they couldn't do anything during the semester because Alan felt it was improper to date a student. And Alan was super shy. He would never make a move like that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, once the semester ended, there was no reason not to date. So they did. Like I said, Alan, like Betty, had grown up in Kansas, uh, Kansas farmland. He was a hard worker, having saved enough of his own money for college by working farm jobs and other odd jobs here and there. The two had a lovely, albeit quiet, relationship where they didn't do anything more exciting than go to the movies. Eventually, they got married and had a two-day honeymoon in a motel. Two-day honeymoon in a motel? When you're paying for your own money... <laughs> Cash is being very judgy because as we speak, we're getting ready to leave for our honeymoon, which is the dream honeymoon. We're very, very lucky, but not everybody gets that. Don't get me wrong. I am not judging them. I'm just saying two days in a hotel, is it's nice. It's very nice. I'm so sorry. Technically, our honeymoon, our real honeymoon, was two days at home because we couldn't leave. No, it was two years at home. And it's been great. Yes, it's been great. (laughs) Thank you. So they had their honeymoon, and then they moved into a one-bedroom apartment. They also had their ups and downs. Alan had been promised a good job in Texas, but they kept holding off. He pursued his master's degree in the meantime, and she kept pursuing her teaching degree, which they both eventually achieved. But... The lack of knowing where they were going to permanently be because of this job that kept being promised to Alan stressed Betty out. 
and for the first time in her life, she started experiencing mysterious ailments, mostly stomach problems and back problems and stuff that eventually the doctors would just say she needed to be put on bed rest for and gave her different medications mm-hmm. for anxiety, uh, etc. Then as soon as, as soon as her husband got a real job offer and told her they were moving to New Mexico, her ailments cleared right up. I'm fine. <laughs> but there was a big problem. I think I think I'm missing a part of the story, but eventually he gets a job in New Mexico and then he goes to and then he gets another job in Texas, right? Mm-hmm. But there was a big problem with the job in Texas. Alan had been promised big responsibilities and was relegated to little more than a phone software salesman, which required him to travel a lot. Betty hated this. Like, she absolutely hated whenever Alan had to leave. She got really anxious. She couldn't. She would whine and cry. She just couldn't fucking stand being alone. She hated it. She thought it was improper for a husband to be gone that long, even if it was like a weekend or whatever. But oftentimes it was like several weeks that he had to leave. I am not fine. She was not fine. She was really upset about it. She hated being alone. She absolutely hated it. And it was something that would never relent. Every time he had to leave, she she was not cool. Mm. Alone with your thoughts. Yeah. During this time, Alan was gone so often that Betty began to resent him. She had a one-night stand with a young guy at her college. Oh. As soon as Alan returned, she told him the truth about what happened. He was hurt, but they moved on. I mean, how strong is that foundation going to be? <laughs> Eventually, Alan grew tired of his job and applied to other companies, landing a job in Richardson, Texas, right outside of Dallas. Betty took the news well and applied for teaching jobs in the area, now having her degree. But she could only find work as a substitute teacher, a job she hated, because she felt like little more than a babysitter. Fair. Sure. In 1973, she became pregnant with her first child, Alyssa. She also eventually got a job as a sixth grade teacher, but hated that as well, because she saw she thought the kids were too outspoken and too rebellious and too mean for her taste. That is the job, lady. <laughs> they kids called, suck. Yeah, they called her names, and they thought that she was too strict. And the kids weren't the only ones that thought she was too strict. Other teachers thought she was too strict, and the parents were always complaining that she was too strict. She was the kind of teacher that would keep the whole class in for detention during recess if they didn't do their work for the day kind of thing. The janitor was recounted as saying, man, what a bitch. <laughs> I'm going to go smoke some weed in the, sh- in the shop room. <laughs> I'm the janitor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That, coupled with the teaching style at the school that Betty was not trained in during college, really just put a strain on her. She became depressed, and she was having a difficult time. But she only shared her depression with Alan and her doctors, because she kept she started going to the doctors a lot again. Mm-hmm. She also experienced pre, men, like a pre-pregnancy depression and postpartum depression. So she had it hard. That's a sandwich. And she had remained on different combinations of medications to help her depression and recurring physical ailments. Alan was still traveling a lot. Um, He had recently gone to Switzerland for six weeks and had been asked to go again. But this time, he had been able to take Betty with him for a week before school started, so they had a real honeymoon. It was the happiest time. All right. Yeah. Back home, the Gores, like the Montgomerys, felt church was good for children. So they began looking and settled on the church, the aforementioned little church. Alan became a social butterfly there and was a lead, was the leading layman of the parish. So he was like the most non, he was the, like he had the most responsibilities and shit without being an actual pastor oh, or cool. clergy of the church or whatever you call it. He cleans the pews and puts the books away. <laughs> no. <laughs> he led a lot of the activities. He led the athletic leagues and yeah. stuff like that. I'm sorry. that They didn't join the same church right away. They actually joined another church, and then they were like, this one's okay. 
And then they felt disenchanted with that one and left for the Lucas Church, the one where Candy is, mm. on the recommendation of uh, Alan's co-worker. Alan was eager to jump into responsibilities at the church. He got into the choir, athletic leagues, and everything. Betty also joined the choir, but I don't think she went much. And she was reluctant to do much else for the church. Right. It was kind of like they switched roles. Where, and when she was young, she was the social butterfly. Mm-hmm. But then, uh, like, you know, big fish in a little pond. But then when it was time for her to be a small fish, she just couldn't. She just turned inward. She was not friendly to people. She was not easy to get along with. And people didn't really consider her warm. They, they, the church overall felt Alan was the more friendlier of the two. He's the fish. She turned into a crustacean. <laughs> hid inside of her little shell. Yes. That's for all you nautical fans out there. <laughs> <laughs> then in 1977, after finally heeding Betty's complaints, Alan requested a job that would require him to travel less. It was granted and he was promoted. So that's good. Do you think one of the reasons that she was like, I don't want you to travel because she did dirt when he was gone? She's like, you're going to do dirt. I think um, Alan thinks that she slept with somebody else purposely, not because she really even wanted to in a sense, but more so because it would teach him. Hopefully she thought or like this is just theorizing that hopefully it would teach him what happens if he left. I'm sure on some level that's totally true. That's what Alan, I think, thinks as well. Okay. Um, so I, she just never, she hated being alone. And she didn't have any friends mm. in the town. She never, like, really tried to make too many friends. So whenever he was gone, she was legit alone. Mm. And it was like being a single mother. So, And I just think she just couldn't handle it for whatever reason. We'll never know. Mm. That same year, Betty managed to get transferred to the fifth grade, which she felt suited her better. So instead of sixth graders, she had fifth graders now. They weren't too old, and they weren't. They didn't sass her back. They didn't uh, attack her. They didn't vandalize her home with eggs like the sixth graders had. <laughs> you know, they listened more. Some rowdy sixth graders. Yeah, they were. They, she must like. It sounds like she was super strict, but you know, who knows? They also moved to a new house in nearby Wiley. Everything seemed like a fresh start. They were so hopeful. Then. Alan was asked to start traveling in to install software systems. Uh-oh. He was one of the few people that knew how for the company. On top of that, Betty thought she might be pregnant again, which really, it upset her. She wanted another child, but she feared the depression and the sickness that followed her the first time around. Before Jackie, the lady preacher, left the church for another, Candace... Now back to Candy. Had told her and two other women something very important. Candy had told them that she wanted to have an affair. She straight up told she told Jackie everything. And then Jackie was like, you should talk to this other lady because she had an affair and I don't think you want to. And so she did talk to that lady. And then that lady, I think her name was Joanne, Mm -hmm. was like, her mind's already made up. I'm not going to change it. Like she, I talked to her, but. She wants an affair. And she also told her best friend, Sherry. You ever, heard, you ever heard anybody tell you that they want to fuck around? Has any of your friends ever told you that? That they want to? That they want to. Before they have? Yes. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's normally with already a, a guy or a person specifically already in mind. You know what I mean? Like, as opposed to this, like, weird thing where it's like, I, I want to have an affair and like it doesn't matter with who normally it's like i'm attracted to this other person right but i'm already in a relationship like candy's just like i want to fuck around yeah it doesn't matter <laughs> like, yeah. i knew a guy who was married knew i knew his wife through him and he was like i think i'm gonna fuck around and i was like what are you talking about and he was like i kind of want to just fuck around I was single all the time, and I think he was like, you're out there. I'm like, I'm not fucking married, dude. Yeah. You're not married. Also, I think you're a wife. He was like, I'm not even going to say anything. I was like, that's a, <laughs> lot, that's a lot to put on my plate. Don't do it. And sure enough, he did it, and I was just like. <laughs> did you say anything? I didn't. I 
an interesting conundrum. When Dude. you're like, it's your friend, and you're yeah. not necessarily friends with the wife, mm. or vice versa. Yeah, I mean, I knew them both fairly well, and I was just like, I, 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 their whole relationship was troublesome, and I was just like, I don't really want to be involved. Yeah. Which, you know, sorry. I won't name names. <laughs> Say who it was. His name was Christian. Ah, that's funny because they're Christian. Oh, hey, everything's connected, man. <laughs> so Candy said she told her friends that she didn't want anything from the affair but sex. She didn't want any messiness about emotions or feelings. She just wanted somebody who could make her feel excited again. Mm-hmm. Not something that Pat ever particularly brought, especially to the bedroom. Poor Pat. Dude. Poor Pat. Poor mayonnaise, Pat. <laughs> Good man. Great man. <laughs> Candy mulled over her whole I wanted a fair thing for a while, as she didn't really see any candidates in her direct network that would work for her what she wanted. Until one night, during church volleyball practice, when she bumped into Alan Gore on the court. Mm. <laughs> Mine, mine, mine. 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 <laughs> Yours. Nice shot. <laughs> <laughs> the two of them already knew each other well, having been so active at the church. Mm-hmm. But this was the first time Candy really noticed him. She later told Sherry that he smelled sexy. You know what it was? Aqua Velva. I was going to say curve, but I don't think it is. Aqua Velva. Aqua Velva. I'm telling you. Guys, Colin... <laughs> Colin wore aqua velva on like our first official date, and I hated it so much. <laughs> I dab a little on every single day. I'm wearing her dab cake. <laughs> it's not great. <laughs> then he wore this delicious essential oil that smelled like really good, oh, and that's that's when I fell in love <laughs> <laughs> on the volleyball court. Yeah, she had wondered. If Alan was the kind of man who could make the earth move. Ba-pow. A couple of nights later, Candy approached Alan after practice at his car. She told him she wanted to talk to him about something that had been bothering her. He invited her into the car, and Candy told him that she had been thinking about him a lot. She confessed that she was attracted to him and didn't know what to do about it, but she figured she'd tell him. That was it. Do you think they talked or they made out a little? No, they just talked. And I'll tell you why we know that. Hmm. Then she left. Alan didn't do or say anything right away, but he thought about it. Kept thinking about it. He thought about whether or not he'd want to hurt Betty like that. He didn't. He loved her. But at the same time, Alan felt that their sexual relationship, him and Betty's, was all but non-existent. They had sex only occasionally, maybe once a month. And it was super robotic. Insert penis. (laughs) But Betty was probably pregnant, as we mentioned. Mm -hmm. He continued to weigh the pros and cons for days until a couple of weeks passed, and he knew he was going to have a chance to be alone with Candy during the cleanup for a church event. Scandalous. They got to talking some more. Just talking. We're just talking here. And he asked her what she wanted to do about it. Candy was blunt, like she had always been. She said she wanted an affair with no strings attached. NSA. (laughs) Alan relented. Hey, you know what? No Strings Attached is a movie Justin Timberlake is in. And Justin Timberlake is in Candy with his wife, Jessica Biel. Alan relented. He said he didn't know if he could do that to Betty. Candy didn't argue. She said she always loved Pat and didn't want to hurt him. All the same, though, Alan kissed her on the mouth before she left. Oh. Open mouth. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) At home, troubled by the whole ordeal, Alan suggested something to Betty. He felt they should go to Marriage Encounter. It was a church program that helped couples revitalize their marriage and open up communication if they were having trouble. Sounds like a bit. Marriage Encounter. Like fucking um, 
Deepest Thoughts by Jack Handy. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. It's very much a uh, fucking 90s SNL vibe. It definitely is. Yeah. I am Mary G. Kilgore. <laughs> There's like couples holding hands on yep. the beach. <laughs> it was a real thing. It was a program. Yeah. It was, a, it was like a Christian program. I think it was a little separate from the church, mm-hmm. at least from their church. I think any couple could go to it as long as they were part of a church in the area. Okay. But when he told her this, Betty got upset. She asked if he was unhappy and then said that she didn't feel she had the time for anything like that. She was always, she was already so busy every evening grading papers all the time that she couldn't imagine another activity. You know, it's interesting in the show, they reversed it. They and did. That she was the one who wanted to go to marriage encounter. Yeah, they did. Hmm. Yeah. Alan didn't push the issue, and so they dropped it. Then a few days later, on Candy's 29th birthday, Alan called her. He said he was going to be out by her area getting new tires and wondered if she wanted to talk. She's like the, already like the most boring fucking proposition in the world. It had, three, it had been three weeks since she had pre- propositioned him, and he had denied her, so she already felt foolish, but was also still really confused by the kiss that he had left her with. So they met on November 16th and talked and talked. They talked about their spouses and their children, and finally, how they would go on to have an affair. They agreed once again that they didn't want to hurt their spouses and they should just be physical. Then, instead of, <laughs> instead of doing anything else, they simply left it on, we'll just think about it some more. Which was mostly Alan. Yawn! <laughs> <laughs> they spent nearly, all in all, they spent nearly two months talking on the phone about strategy and scenarios before anything actually happened. She even had him over for lunch, where they wrote out a jumbo-sized pros and cons list on butcher paper in her house. That was in the show. That was in the show. They kind of shortened it and made it seem like that was the only conversation they had. No, dude. They had, like, weeks of Alan being like, I don't know. I don't know. And she's like, okay, well, if you don't know, it's fine. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. (laughs) Jesus. Finally, days later, days after the pros and cons list, still, Alan called and confirmed he wanted to go along with it. Candy and him made up a list of rules for their affair. The list of rules for affairs are always, like, come on, who does this? Like, the, I mean, there are people who try to do this, I feel like. Sure. Like, well, no feelings. Yeah. No feelings. You can't get jealous yeah. and stuff like that. And it's like, shut. You're doing... You're doing it. You're it's, doing it. It's going to happen. You're not going to have any rules. I feel like the Midwest is a haven for this kind of shit. Well, this is the South. This yeah. is Texas. I feel like... Texas. I guess everywhere is a small haven for this. Town. Everywhere. But everywhere. small towns, small I would towns say. Especially. Yeah. These are all little small towns. They mm-hmm, all live in. Mm-hmm. Number one. If either one of them wanted to end the affair, for whatever reason, it would end. Boop. No questions asked. Number two. If either one became too emotionally involved, the affair would end. That's it. Number three, if they ever started taking risks that shouldn't be taken, the affair would end. Number four, all expenses, food, motel room, gasoline, would be shared equally. (laughs) Class. That's pretty great. Number five, they would meet only on weekdays while their spouses were at work. Number six, candy would be in charge of fixing lunch on the days they met so that they could have more time together. They figured they would need all of Alan's two hours off mm-hmm. to have lunch and then the sex. Or sex and then lunch. <laughs> or sex and then lunch, which they never seem to do. No. They seem to always do the lunch and then sex, which is like, that seems like a bad, uncomfortable idea. Seriously. I'll have some more shrimp tartare. Number seven. Candy would be in charge of getting a motel room for the same reason. So that he didn't have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. And number eight, they would meet on a Tuesday or a Thursday. <laughs> Once every two weeks. Because Candy was free only on the days when Ian, her little boy, attended the play day preschool at Allen Methodist Church. Number nine, socks on. 
I'm sure it was. It's a thing. It is a thing. You take your socks off, we're going to get passionate. I don't want that. Number 10, no eye contact. Don't you look at me. <laughs> Idiot. Their first rendezvous would be December 12th, 1978. I was here. All right. That morning, she marinated chicken, <laughs> made lettuce salad with cherry tomatoes and bacon bits. Sure, nice. Brought some white wine mm. and cheesecake for dessert. Cheesecake for dessert. That is some. I feel like that's like a hardcore small town thing where the lunch is so complicated and it's like already a dinner. It's definitely a 70s thing too. Sure. 70s, 80s, where it's like the lunch is already like so heavy. Like if I ate this, I'd be like, I don't want to have sex right now. What are you talking about, baby? <laughs> no, I get it. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's like if you're working in fields and shit. Yeah. But again, that's another small town mentality. I guess they were working the plow. <laughs> yeah. Sewing some oats. She packed the lunch and her nightgown and left by 10.45 a.m. They met at the Continental Inn on Central Expressway, room 213. They made small talk, nervously, ate, danced around the idea for a bit until finally they had no food left and nothing else to do and so then they just had sex. Let's buff. <laughs> Candy would later say the sex was essentially nothing to write home about. Conventional, not exactly fireworks, and brief. She did think, though, that he had the most perfectly shaped penis she had ever seen. Very nice. <laughs> very very nice, nice, Pete. Very nice. Very nice. I'm sure in the locker rooms back then, like, you know, 80s and stuff, he's like, Talking deals and people are just like, yeah, it's great. Great job. I'm like, oh, gotta pass that stuff up. You got a great penis. Anyways, <laughs> let's go play some rock and ball. <laughs> Ellen was thrilled because she was so responsive and energetic in bed. Alan had never been with anyone but Betty before, so it's a big change for him. Oh, laying there like a dead fish, love. <sighs> And I don't want to point it out, but I can't. I mean, like, I f it becomes pertinent to the case, too, is that they were considerably different in size. Poor Betty had never lost the baby weight that she had from the first baby. She was a broad lady. Candy was smaller, more petite. Not tiny, but smaller. Mm. I think it became an issue. An issue. <laughs> <laughs> The affair went on, uh, and Betty continued on her without knowing. Betty on her on her with her own problems continued to grow unhappy. Candy told Sherry all about the affair. She told her best friend all about the affair, and Sherry soaked it up like only a best friend who loves Goss could. Love it. Sherry couldn't understand what Candy saw in Alan though. She thought it was like a lateral move. <laughs> yeah, that's something they said in the show yeah. too. I thought that was a good line. It's true. <laughs> but she saw that Candy was happier this way. They also Candy and Alan also really liked each other. Like I feel like they're so foolish because they immediately started breaking their own rules. Yeah. They liked each other, they talked a lot. Um, it's not like they just got together and fucked and left. They like talked a lot. Mm -hmm. They gave each other little gifts mm -mm. and little cards, little joke cards, just like the ones. Ooh, see now, mm -hmm. the whole affair seems horrible, obviously. Yeah. That thing is poor. Yeah. Just, just, it's just horrible. But when you take the emotion yep. and do the same thing that, that, that my husband does. Dude, it's fucked up. That's fucking foul. It's fucked, fucked up. Fucked mm -mm. up. Even the first card he gave her was a joke card because it was like for the last of the red hot lovers and there was like little hot tamales or whatever on the inside. So, like, from the get-go, it was a problem. It was a problem. So, though, as time went on, Candy felt bored sexually again. Big surprise. <laughs> I mean, he sounds super boring. The first few times were all right, but Alan wasn't getting any better, no matter how much she coached him. But that penis! <laughs> but the penis! Um, and he wasn't getting any, like, like he was, the, the length of time remained the same. Oh, man. <laughs> At the same time, she felt herself catching feelings for him after a couple of months. She's like, I'm starting to love this minute, man. <laughs> Candy confessed to Alan that she thought she was falling in love with him and that they should end the affair. But 
Mm-hmm. He argued. Remember rule number one? Oh, that's right. Was that they should end it if they either of them felt like they were catching feelings. But he argued. And he was like, no, no, no. I'm not ready. You have to let this relationship run its course. Run its course? Relationship? You son of a bitch. Run its course. It's crazy. And she acquiesced. A few more weeks passed. And now, at this around this time, Betty was now around seven months pregnant. Oof. Oof. Then, the tables turned, and Alan felt like he needed to end the affair. At least for now. Because he thought he would never be able to forgive himself if he was in a hotel with her in Como. Como, by the way, was the little town where their motel was. Because mm. at first they started at the Continental Inn. And then she saw another motel across the freeway or the highway that was even seedier. And she was like, I want that one. And, and she, so they like always met in this motel in Como. That was like the grossest. So anyway, he was like, I can't forgive myself if I'm in a hotel room with you in Como if Betty goes into labor. Oh. And he also knew that she would need a lot of help, especially since the previous pregnancy was so tough. I have a feeling Alan would be able to forgive himself. I feel like... I, feel like it oh, I couldn't do that. Oh, I did it. <laughs> Simp. By this point, the two, Candy and Alan, had become so close, sometimes they didn't even have sex. They just talked and talked for hours. Okay. And also, on the side, they don't really mention this a lot, but Alan kept talking about Candy at home. Ooh. And also, Alan was never supposed to call Candy at home for fear Pat knowing. And he would. They don't really talk about that, but they, he did. Both of those things happen. He's an idiot. He's a fool. How would, ooh, that's... Mm-hmm. that's How would you not know? Yeah. Any, but they kind of excused it as like, well, they're both so active in the church and they have all these stuff, things going on. Mm. Anyway, Alan also often wondered... What life would be like married to Bubbly Candy instead of Dower Betty? But then he would hate himself for thinking that. <laughs> I could never get over it. I thought about it. I'm over it. It's fine. <laughs> because he felt marriage was permanent. This is bullshit. I hate when people are like, marriage is permanent, but I'm going to cheat, and that's fine. I just don't want to hurt her or him. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> I don't want to hurt this person. Uh, but I got to do it because I really want to. Motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> You're a piece of shit. Yeah. In a way, Candy was relieved when he asked to call it off. She had grown tired of making those elaborate lunches for him and all the extra trouble that she had to go through. <laughs> Which is fair, She's dude. got two kids. She's busting her ass. She's like, oh, oh, God, I have to make my adulterous lunch. Yeah. <laughs> He's like... Like in jello molds and stuff. Like, this was great. I really am starting to really develop feelings. Next time I'd like some shepherd's pie. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe a bit of that coffee cake. Uh, she's like, oh, sure. In mid-June, the affair now over, Candy threw a surprise baby shower for Betty. That is fucking treacherous, dude. Treacherous. Treacherous. She even ended up throwing it, like she threw this like, it was like a they went to like a Chinese food place or something, or maybe they just had takeout at at, at Candy's home. Mm-hmm. But it was like a Chinese food excuse, like where they had all the couples over to eat Chinese food that day. But then she even ended up throwing a, a second baby shower because the official baby shower that was going to be like via the ladies of the church fell through. The location did, so she had two baby showers for for Betty. It's a double down. Mm-hmm. A few weeks after the baby was born in July, Alan and Candy re-sparked the affair. Fuck. It was different now, though. Oh. Alan felt Candy complained a little more, something that she never did before. He's like, I can just get this at home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what he felt. You didn't even make the shepherd's pie ask for. <laughs> this is chicken. I'm so tired of chicken. What is, I'm tired of chicken. <laughs> Alan was also starting to feel a little guilty. Oh, yeah? Thinking about his wife at home with the two girls. 
shortly thereafter, Betty stepped out of her shell and tried to be sexually aggressive with Alan one night. Oh, okay. But it just so happened to be a night where Alan had spent all day with Candy. Ooh, so she's like, let's fuck. And he's like, what is it? I'm stuck in all day. Ex- well, he didn't say that, but he was like, yeah, I, I don't want to. Ooh. And this just drove Betty to tears. She was, she completely lost it. She was like, you don't love me anymore. La la la. And so he's, he's just like, uh, I'm going to go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> the white man's reprieve. <laughs> yeah. I'm going outside. <laughs> yeah. Drive around, drive around for hours. Not to me to say white man. It's it's it. He happens to be white. It's a shitty, sad man. Shitty sad bad husband. Yeah, sad bad. He avoided. Uh, so Alan, after this happened, felt bad and avoided Candy for a bit. And then when he finally saw her again, they made love. And then he told her <laughs> that he wanted to end it again. Now it was Candy who fought back. She said the same thing. You you said that we need to let this relationship run its course and see it through to the end. Mm-hmm. And, and he was like, fine. I didn't waste my whole goddamn afternoon making you a fucking pumpkin pie. <laughs> not make you any more fucking desserts. Yeah. Dick. I think she just couldn't stand that it was him breaking up with her in the way, honestly. For days, they talked on the phone and just kept talking in circles about it. About how they knew that they loved each other now. Oof. But Alan was scared. And Alan was scared that he loved Candy more than he loved Betty. A few more meetings, and but they, they knew. They knew it was coming to an end. Betty had also asked Alan to go to Marriage Encounter now. So they just kind of skipped the part where he asked her first. But she did ask him oh, eventually. Okay. Sure. Okay. Let's go. Like She was like, I don't know what else to do. Let's go to Marriage Encounter. Okay. Marriage Encounter ended up really working for them. It wasn't a wife swap thing, which I thought it was. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it was just a weekend of exercises to get couples to open up to each other again and reconnect. That's the power of Magic Encounter. (laughs) Marriage Encounter. Marriage Encounter. (laughs) The weekend worked, and the Gores felt they had rekindled their marriage. Alan had suddenly no desire to sleep with Candy anymore. He met with her again and told her that he wanted to focus all his attention on his family now. He's a family man. What a good man. (laughs) He felt he still had strong feelings for Candy, he told her, but he was excited to be with Betty again and he wanted to focus on that. Mm. He reasoned that Marriage Encounter didn't say anything about having affairs or not. So. Uh, I mean... Dude. I know. He's such a little fucking... Oh, weasel. Yeah. Well, they didn't say we couldn't do that. The store didn't say I couldn't steal anything. Yeah. It's a store. <laughs> <laughs> it's a marriage. Yeah. <laughs> Call the cops. <laughs> Call the cops. <laughs> Finally, Candy, sick of it, was like, you know what? I feel like you're making me do this, so fine. I'm not going to call you anymore. I'm not going to talk to you anymore. It's over. Mm-hmm. And Alan was like, oh, thank God. I didn't want to do it myself. <laughs> and that was it. Then they cried together. And and that was it. And, they, and it was over. Thanks for listening to the Billy Podcast. No. We'll see. Oh, oh, <laughs> Candy told Sherry about the breakup. And to make her feel better, her and Candy went to a singles bar near the city. And they started going frequently. All the time. They just like, get drunk, go to the singles bar as if they were both single ladies, but they're not. They're married. Um, and just, you know, did that for a while, which, okay. Sure. But they didn't just, like, go to the singles bar and, like, dance with each other. Like, they'd go to the single bars and, like, flirt with men all night. <laughs> Truck drivers and shit. Ugh. Candy even had another affair as a rebound. She started dating a guy that she met at the bar who turned out to be much more the kind of lover that she wanted the first time around. He was sexually aggressive. He was a little bit more romantic because he took her out to dinner instead of making her make lunch. <laughs> She's like, wait, all this? You don't even want me to make your fucking tuna, tuna casserole? <laughs> nah, nah, nah. We're going to go to Sizzler. Oh. <laughs> Sizzler? But soon, Candy grew bored of that too. 
she realized and told Sherry that she felt like she needed to find herself. And so Candy set out to make her own life better. This is all, by the way, still unbeknownst to Pat. Like Pat. I was about to say, poor Pat. Poor Pat. Poor doesn't know what's going on. Candy's just a hoe. <laughs> Candy signed up for more advanced English classes. She already took English classes, but she signed up for more. Um, she started writing more. She picked up painting. And she started plans for an organization business with Sherry. They even registered their business and got business cards printed. Candy even convinced Pat to try Marriage Encounter with her uh, because she was so amazed by what, what it had done for Alan and Betty. She was like, maybe there's something to it. Mm-hmm. But it didn't really work for them the way it had worked for other people. It did strengthen their communication a little more, but they just it didn't work the same miracle. It had now been eight months since the affair ended, and Alan and Betty had all but left the church. They didn't like the new preacher, and Betty often argued with him. Betty remained active in the marriage encounter group. She was the flame leader for the area. I guess they both were. And she had remained overall happier since the marriage encounter. Okay. People thought she was more approachable. She wasn't so stern all the time. She wasn't such a like a downer. Nice. Everybody noticed. Everybody at church noticed. Everybody was like, great, she's doing better. Then the day came when Alyssa, the Gore's older daughter, stayed with the Montgomery's. The kids were always friends, but um, so it wasn't anything weird. But on this particular day, it was. It was Thursday the 12th of June. The kids were planning on seeing the new Star Wars movie. The Empire Strikes Strikes Back. Let's talk about that for just a couple of minutes. Okay. Empire Strikes Back. Hell of a film. <laughs> Hell of a film. <laughs> really exciting. Really exciting. It's just kind of fun to see that it was coming out at this time. I mean, it doesn't end up being fun in this context. But also, two movies came out that year. Mm. At, at this time. Mm. The Empire Strikes Back mm-hmm. and The Shining. Oh, oh. What a fantastic time for American cinema. My God. People hated The Shining at the time. Ugh. They called it an absolute joke. They thought it was crap. I don't know how people felt about The Empire Strikes Back, but kids loved it. Well, I mean, Star Wars came out, what, 77, the first one came out, and it was oh, it was a huge hit. A huge hit. And it was, it was like, you know, when Empire came out, it was monstrous. It was like a tidal wave. Like, no, 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 like... American movies had done anything like this. So at the time, I imagine everybody was super excited. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's all I'll talk about. It's great. (laughs) We all know it's good. Whatever. So the kids, the Montgomery kids were going to go see it that night, and they wanted Alyssa to come. And Alyssa, of course, wanted to come. She's like eight. She's like, yeah, I want to go. Oh, yeah. So they asked if it was okay if Alyssa stayed over one more night. Candy was fine with it, and she called Betty to ask her if it was okay. But then they remembered while they were on the phone that Alyssa also had her swimming lesson the next day. Mm -hmm. So Candy would have to take her to the swimming lesson in the afternoon. Therefore, Candy would have to swing by the Gore's house to pick up Alyssa's swimsuit. So that's where they left it. The next day started out normal with Candy dropping off the kids at church and running the first Bible lesson of the day. It was like the week of church camp, which is like a week-long camp where... All the mothers, like, do stuff. And then at the end of it, there's, like, this penultimate puppet play. Uh, anyway, there's side note. Ron, the new preacher, was not into it. He didn't care for it. He thought it was bullshit. <laughs> Fuck you, Ron. You don't get it, dude. <laughs> what an asshole. <laughs> Candy's plan was to go to the store after, uh, like, after, after she did her Bible lesson. Go to the store. Pick up Father's Day cards, because that's coming up the weekend. Mm -hmm. Drop off a card table to Sherry, who had her family in town and needed an extra little table. Go to Betty's to pick up the suit. Come back to church for the puppet play, and then meet Pat with the kids to go to the movies. It's like a Guy Ritchie movie. Yeah. (laughs) After helping the ladies take care of some church chores, she took off. She only planned to be gone an hour. When she got to Betty's, they chatted about the kids and the new business that Candy had, And she even left her business card on the table for her. After that, Candy says she can't remember anything. 
She says the next thing she know she knew she was in her car, her clothes were soaking wet, and her toe was throbbing. Confused and dazed, she drove home, washed her wet maroon blouse, dried it, put it back on with a pair of jeans that matched the one she had pre- previously been wearing, changed out of her flip-flops, and drove back to the church. A friend commented on her new, well, like new for the moment, shoes, because she was surprised to see her out of what she called her shower shoes. Look at those new tennies. <laughs> hmm. She missed the puppet show. Ugh. It was nearly noon. Candy said she had got to talking to Betty, lost track of time, ran to the Target discount store to buy the cards because she thought she had time when she looked at her watch. Then when she got to the store, realized her watch had stopped and rushed back to the church <laughs> without buying anything. She told the story to both her friends at church and Pat over the phone. No one really paid it any mind. That evening, they went to the movies. Candy felt a gnawing in her stomach in the back of her mind because this is, or a gnawing in her stomach and in the back of her mind. This is the first time she had been, had had to sit still since blank, blank, blacking out that morning. She said she felt an especial, especially strong feeling of dread and revulsion at two scenes during the movie. Number one, at the beginning, when he rips open the tauntaun. I thought they smelled bad on the outside. <laughs> and number two, when he cuts off the hand. Those are both direct clips. Those are great. (laughs) Not a big deal. She tried to put it out of her mind, and the night went on as usual. Then at home that night, Alan called. He was upset. He couldn't get a hold of Betty, and the phone kept ringing. He called his neighbors and had convinced two of them to head over to the house to check on her. One of the neighbors said that Betty's car was there, and that they could hear the baby crying, but no one answered the door. Alan, knowing his wife had been upset that morning because once again he had to leave for a weekend trip to Minnesota, um, knew that she had been depressed that morning, and knew that his wife didn't go out at night, so she wouldn't be anywhere else. She wouldn't be out with friends. So he was really worried. So he told his neighbors to break in if they had to. The neighbors were about to break in. One of them actually came over with a gun because, like, his wife was like, you better, I don't know what's going on, but this is weird. You better take your gun with you. And he did. And as they're trying to find a way into the house, the, the, the dogs are going crazy in the back. They have two Cocker Spaniels. They're, they've been out in the backyard the whole time. Um, as they're about to try to break in, they realize the front door is unlocked. Also, the garage is open. Um, they make their way inside and there's an uneasy feeling in the entire house they make their way through the dark living room and towards the utility room next to the garage one of the neighbors opens up the utility room and sees Betty lying on the floor in a pool of blood another glance shows him that there's blood absolutely everywhere the neighbors assuming that betty had been shot call 911 they find the baby crying soiled in its in its own poopy because it's been there but so long by herself and they take the they take the baby they take it to one of their own homes and take care of it they call 911 and then alan calls the house you know he's desperate he's been trying to get a hold of betty for hours and he has a bad feeling. So he calls his own house. Somebody picks up the phone and tells him Betty's been shot. And then the police arrive. But so by the time the police arrived, multiple neighbors had already been inside the house and the rest of the neighborhood was gathering outside. Someone was even going around by car and telling people in their homes that someone shot and killed Betty Gore. 
and we'll get to what Candy actually did and the trial on the next episode. It's insane. It really is, guys. I just found out what's going on. Oh, my God. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Bloody God, bleh. God Thanks for listening to Bloody Podcast. <laughs> Have a good night. Bloody Cockcast. Bloody Cockcast. <laughs>